0: Hello and welcome, episode 82 of the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, it's the divisional round in the NFL. We have the eight best teams remaining in the dance, in the playoffs. We're going to go over all four games going on this weekend and make our picks for our Pitcher Bet this weekend. Then we're going to discuss a little thing in baseball. We're going to talk about Carlos Correa switching management and representation during his offseason free agency drama right now. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the Timberwolves. Pretty cool statistics coming out about Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and stacking them up against the best duos in all of the NBA. And then lastly, today on the podcast, we are going to be talking Troy Aikman. He came out. We talked about it extensively last time about where we think the Cowboys are going to be, what their window looks like in the future. Troy came out guns a blazing in an interview yesterday. Matt and I have some thoughts on it, but first, run the music. Let's go. All right, everyone. Once, wel- once again, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Guest. With me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Morris. For this awesome divisional weekend, this is going to be the best round of the playoffs, I think, yet, and maybe in the past couple of years. I think every matchup is amazing this weekend. I'm so excited to watch football.
1: Yeah, man. I, um, I have to work, and I'm I mean, a I little do too. But we're excited. About
0: it. We're excited. <laughs>
1: I'm more nervous about this 49ers Packer game, even though I came out, you know, and so I think they win 42 17. Um, But honestly, the 49ers games are always nerve wracking. I think they're probably the arch enemy of the Green Bay Packers in the last five, 10 years. And I'm gonna be okay. Hopefully, I'm busy on Saturday night, and by the time you know ten o'clock rolls around, I can take a deep breath, going back, look at my phone, see that the Packers won one fifty to seven, <laughs> and uh, that seven right. points was uh, at the end of the game. They just handed the ball and said, "You know, what? you can go and score. It's okay. Like you can get, you can at least get some points." But it'll definitely be a good weekend, and we've got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, just
0: give them the good old Ben Roethlisberger treatment for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be an awesome game. We're gonna get to that here in a second, but. First, let's dive right into our pitcher bet, my friend. All right, so for first-time listeners, what Matt and I do is bet a pitcher of beer every single weekend on The Biggest Thing in Sports, basically for the past now 19 weeks, we've been doing football because football's been the number one thing going on, so we're going to go... Through an analysis of the games going on this weekend, starting with the Saturday games and going into the Sunday games, and just giving our picks against the spread, if I win, I buy, or excuse me, Matt buys me a pitcher, vice versa, I buy Matt a pitcher, and we drink it on our Tuesday episode. It's a good time. So, let's dive right into it. First game Saturday. Already, a crazy one. Like, ah, I don't know where to go. Right now, it's Tennessee is at home Mm -hmm. against Cincinnati. Tennessee, I think the line is at three and a half we are recording this on wednesday january 19th so that is subject to change All signs out of Tennessee's camp, A.J. Brown's looking healthy, Julio's looking healthy, and obviously the biggest news is Derrick Henry cleared his full contact practice protocol, so it's looking like they're going to get their three-headed monsters available for this playoff game. Cincinnati, obviously, been on fire, but Tennessee is the number one seed, had time to get healthy, and that's been their biggest issue all season. So Matt, what's your analysis on this game, and where are you leaning for your pick?
1: Yeah, I'm actually taking the Bengals in this game. Um, I think the Derrick Henry impact is going to be very big for the Titans. But at the end of the day, what you're going up against is a pass-heavy offense with Burrow. And I think we're seeing the ascension of Joe Burrow here, right? This doesn't often happen in the NFL, where in the playoffs, the last few weeks of the season, you see a quarterback absolutely come into his own. And we're seeing that with Burrow. I think the offensive weapons that the Bengals have, especially in the past game, are definitely going to give the Titans a lot of trouble. And if this game gets to be a 10-14 point lead for the Bengals into the third quarter, that kind of neutralizes Derrick Henry. You can't control the clock the way they want Correct. to. And honestly, the Titans' biggest issue is that secondary. They have a good run defense it's kind of helped them throughout the season take away some uh some victories from other teams that were expected titans losses especially with henry out but when you have a weak secondary going up against a quarterback that's ascending it's going to be a challenge i'm definitely liking the Bengals, especially with that three and a half this could be a field goal game and if it's a field goal game Still loving the Bengals.
0: Yeah, no, the hook makes it a lot more difficult and puts a lot of stress on your heart. And uh, that's the NFL, and that's why I've been a lot better at betting college football, or excuse me, college basketball in the NBA, because it's, (laughs) you know, it's honestly not as hard. Um, But... Cincinnati, what I thought was amazing was after the game last time, Joe Burrow came out and said, this is the standard moving forward here in Cincinnati. He was hyped that they won, hyped that the, uh, the fans got their first victory in 31 years. But this is what he expects. And I think we're in the midst right now, Matt, of watching a changing of the guard in the AFC. And it's amazing, right? We're going to have burrow we're gonna have herbert we're gonna have josh allen mahomes lamar right like these guys this is the changing of the guard so this is gonna be a really exciting matchup so just some stats for you like you said and i totally agree cincinnati's offense is very good obviously they have the three-headed monster at receiver tennessee 25th ranked pass defense uh, in the nfl right now the titans are also zero four and one against the spread the last five home playoff games and cincinnati fifth against the run on defense which is huge for henry but cincinnati is a little banged up i've gone back and forth and i think i'm gonna go against some of these stats i just went out i think tennessee might be the most underrated team in the league and i think their d line can give burrow enough trouble to help them win this game i'm actually taking tennessee minus the three and a half i hate I, i hate the hook But I have a sneaky feeling that Tennessee is going to come out and prove a lot of people wrong. And, you know, we've been sleeping on them all year. Who hasn't? Right. So I actually, I'm taking the Titans.
1: Wow. I like it. I like it. And again, I think you're right on with that. You know, they are very, very underrated. We're going to find out who they are on on Saturday night. That's just the truth, right? Like, I don't think anyone really knows who the Titans are because they haven't had Derrick Henry. This is their opportunity to, you know, show up or shut up. It's... (laughs) I, I honestly, I have no idea what to expect from the Titans, and that's why I had to take the Bengals because at least I know what the top tier Bengals performance is. I don't know what the Titans' top tier performance is anymore. We might find out Saturday afternoon. Yeah,
0: I'm hoping we get a game like they played against the Rams and then Kansas City middle of the season from that defense. I mean, we'll see. Nashville's going to be bumping. It's it's going to be a really close game. I, I'm nervous about the hook for sure. The next game is the game we're talking about. I'm wearing my jersey today. It's playoff time, right? <laughs> Packers, Niners. Um, the Packers have been the most consistent team in the NFL this season. The line, the last time I checked, was still at five and a half. So the Packers are five and a half point favorites. Obviously, most people think they should win by more than that. Uh, you know, they've played a lot better. Yeah, the Niners are coming into the game with Fred Warner, Joey Bosa, and um their starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo banged up. So I'm going to start here, Matt. Dan Orlovsky today on ESPN said that this is the worst possible matchup for Green Bay. I'm going to have to disagree with Dan. And I actually like Dan's one of my more favorite ESPN people in, you know, today that's on TV. I think he has some good points and his Twitter is very good. But I, I would tend to disagree. Everyone's really focusing on Green Bay can't really stop the run and kind of ignoring the fact that San Francisco doesn't have a secondary. And the last time that they played, Devontae Adams did whatever he wanted against them. And the fact that it's going to be probably you know around seven degrees at kickoff, possibly uh, snow and the wind chill. What were we looking yesterday? Is roughly around minus twelve, right? So all that stuff really goes in the Packers' favor, and that has nothing to do with the Debo Sam, excuse me, with the Jimmy Garoppolo situation, Fred Warner, Joey Bosa, or Nick Bosa, like I said before. Packers also eight and zero at home this year. Packers also getting back Randall Cobb, MVS, Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari, uh, Zadarius Smith, and Whitney Merciless. So not only are the Packers favorites, but they're literally getting back six players that can make an immediate impact on the game on Sunday. With that being said, I don't think this is the worst possible matchup for Green Bay because I think the Rams and Tampa are both better than San Francisco. So I like the Packers minus five and a half here.
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately what all of the national media is ignoring is the absolute fire and burning desire from this Green Bay team to make it to the Super Bowl. They aren't looking at this game as a singular, oh man, we haven't beaten the 49ers on a regular basis in how many years, right? We haven't, you know, beat them in the playoffs in how many years. It's this is an opponent that we have to get through to continue our mission. Our right. mission is solely and simply to win the Super Bowl. We're the best team in the league, and we have to continue week in and week out to show that. I think, obviously, you said it, the Packers' run D is going to be a big performance in this game, but in all honesty, Raheem Mostert is not on this team anymore. That speed that absolutely kills us a few years ago, it's gone. Now Debo is there, yes, but we're looking at a different team. We're also looking at a team with a quarterback that has a basically broken thumb and a banged up shoulder. Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to really be kind of a weapon at all out there. He's going to be a game manager. And when you're going up against the best team in the league as a game manager, that best team has to have a lot of mistakes. There's one thing we've seen from Green Bay. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Yes, special teams is a question mark, but the defense and the offense minimizes the mistakes as much as possible. I take Green Bay in this game. I think they win 45-17. I've been saying that for about a week now. (laughs) Um, and And I do. I just think at the end of the day, the Green Bay Packers have a lot of their pro bowlers returning. We're going to see how they play. But if you think about that offensive line over the last eight, nine, 10 weeks, they've been playing with second tier players and Rodgers has been pressured almost the least in the league. They've done an incredible job. You've got both tackles back this week. You have your center back. You have your slot receiver back. You have your all pro cornerback. You have your all pro rush end back. And on top of that, you have Aaron Rodgers, the X factor, the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't see a single chance the 49ers win this game even if they put up 300 yards on the ground you still have to play against Aaron Rodgers and when your quarterbacks hurt good luck
0: yep for sure and and I think score I don't think it's going to be as egregious as you say um, I like the 30 to 17 30 20 I think it's somewhere in that range but I mean the Packers get out to a 14 17 point lead it could get ugly for San Francisco right away um, like you said Jimmy's I'm interested to see how he looks out there. He's very banged up as much as they're kind of pushing that under the rug. Yeah. The next game, which is the first game on Sunday, is the Rams-Bucks. I just said I, I like the Rams and the Bucks more than the Niners for, I think, obvious reasons. Niners have been hot, played a decent game in Dallas, but those two teams are very, very good. What are your thoughts on this game? I mean, this is the moment for me, and I'll bang my points after you go, but I think this is the moment for me that we have every fucking year for the past 20 years is where we get reminded how good and blessed Tom Brady is. You know, I think I think this is the game this year where everyone is so up high on the Rams that they forget, like, the guy is a wizard, right?
1: Yeah, and I think this is kind of a mirage. So we, as the national media, look at the Rams. They're hot. Stafford's on fire. OBJ's out there playing well. Brady has to go into this game with a shell of a receiving core that he had last year. Right. You know, Antonio Brown, gone. Godwin, gone. And I've said this multiple weeks in a row it's Gronk, it is Evans, and it's some dudes that we don't really know their <laughs> names. You got a guy out there t- catching touchdown passes that didn't play college football. Um, but I think the mirage is the fact that the Rams are good. I got a little stat for you the Rams are two and five against playoff teams. Hmm. One win was against the Cardinals. I don't count that. The Cardinals, what they showed up last week, they're not a playoff team in my eyes, right? They had a terrible performance. Second win was against Tampa Bay, 34 24 in week three. Week three was a long fucking time ago. Tampa Bay proved that last year when they played the Saints. I think it was also week three got demolished, right? I think they lost both games against the Saints only to beat them in the playoffs. But the interesting game that I want to look at for the Rams was when they lost to Tennessee 28-16. Tennessee's got a decent defense. We just talked about that. Kind of a poor secondary, right? But you're going up against... Tampa Bay's defense. I don't care how banged up they are. I don't care how underperforming they've been in comparison to the last year. They are a supreme defense and they are a championship team. I agree. I think Stafford ultimately reverts back to the Stafford that we were talking shit on a few weeks ago. Makes mistakes. This game could turn really quickly in Brady's favor. You give Brady two interceptions, he will capitalize. And at that point, you've lost the game. <laughs> you cannot turn the ball over against Tom Brady. And I think that's what Stafford does.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, let's be real. And we gave credit to the Rams last game. I mean, they played a perfect game. If they play that game again against Tampa, they'll win. The likelihood, I mean, we're all human, right? They're not going to play a perfect game. I I just don't foresee them playing a perfect game, even though I think on paper their roster, they probably should win. Here's what I've got for you, Matt and I think this is going to be some things here that are a little... It was eye-opening to me to see this when I was doing my research. Tampa Bay has the 21st pass defense in the NFL, but they have the third-best rush defense. On the flip side, the Rams only have the 22nd-best pass defense. What does that show to me is that the uh, the rams have success when they're able to run the ball let's revert back to monday night why was stafford obj cup higby so dynamic the play action was there all night sony michelle cam Akers, difference makers if they shut that down and they revert back to the 40 passes a game stafford here comes the next uh stat for you is the bucks have the fourth most takeaways in all of football. And who's throwing the third most interceptions in the NFL this year? <laughs> it's Stafford, and we like we've knocked on him, but he's a great, he's a very good quarterback. I'm not gonna sit here and act like he's not. Um, the Rams are one in seven against the spread. Their last eight games after a win, the Rams are five and zero against the spread. Their last five against the Bucks. So those are a little contradicting. And then last thing here the points yards and time of possession averages on the season all in favor of the bucks with that being said i think this is the matt stafford pick six fumble interception game where he's going to do something to make a mistake that tom brady turns into a touchdown like that i think it's going to be close but i do like tampa minus the three here
1: yeah absolutely
0: last game and people are already anointing this as the as the Super Bowl of, of football already. But honestly, I mean, if you're a football fan and you're not excited about this game, I, I don't think you're a real football fan. Um, Kansas City is hosting the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo has not punted in three of their last four games. So that's how red hot Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, that nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Shout out to Chris Berman, right? um they're on fire right now what are your thoughts on this game i think the last time i checked it was at one and a half did you see them at two or one and a half matt
1: um one and a half was what i saw last and wild
0: man so it went down a full point then
1: I'm taking taking the Bills here. Um, I think they're red hot. I think the Chiefs, much like the Rams, have kind of gotten the national media to buy back in on them while playing, you know, okay opponents. Now, again, they just beat up on the Steelers. Me and you could probably beat up on the Steelers, let's be honest. Sure. But... At the end of the day, the Bills are, they're hot. You know, I want to see from the Bills, I want to see that run game again. That's going to be key. We've been talking about that since the middle of the season. They've got to continue that. Singletary has been on fire. Allen with that play action and his bootlegs have been great. But also the Chiefs secondary. Can Allen throw for five touchdowns again, right? Can he throw for four touchdowns? Because that Chiefs secondary is in question against a good team. Sure. Um, I think the weather will have a big impact on that. And then finally, who brings the rush? You know, is Mahomes constantly running for his life? Is Allen constantly running for his life? Who plays better in that mode of I've got to make a play? Both quarterbacks are mobile. Both can get out of the pocket, right? Both have good receivers in Tyreek Hill and Diggs. And at the end of the day, it's going to be who can rush the quarterback more effectively. I think a really interesting player to watch in this game, too, and it's kind of the last point I make, is Jarek McKinnon. Kind of a forgotten about player. For sure. I love that. We have Minnesota 49ers. He had the torn ACL kind of on the street and was picked up. He touched the ball last week, I want to say, 18 times for 142 yards and a touchdown. What an incredible game. This was a piece that Le'Veon Bell tried to fill, right? Clyde Edwards-Alaire was drafted to be the guy that ran the ball, caught the ball. And here we are with Jarek McKinnon coming off the street, putting up an amazing game. I don't expect the same from him, but if he can have an impact again in that running game, we might be talking about the reason the Chiefs win this game, because a weapon that you didn't foresee three, four, five weeks ago, paying huge dividends in the tempo of this game.
0: Yeah. Um, But you're you're rolling with the Bills then, Uh, plus one and a half? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some stats for you here on my end, what I got, and I love that, dude. I thought Jarek McKinnon was a revelation. I actually had some same-game parlays for Darrell Williams, so I was a little upset about that last week. (laughs) But it was just interesting. Like, dang, this guy, he got hot, and they didn't take him out. And if he does that again, I think Kansas City probably mops Buffalo. Um, Kansas City, 27th in yards, Uh, 27th in yards given up and passing yards against this season. So, you know, you noted that in your point there. Buffalo's defense, sixth in takeaways, first in total yards against and points against. Bills also beat Kansas City earlier this season. Bills also 4-0-1 against the spread. Their last five. Safe to say the Bills are hot, right? Um, (laughs) I've gone back and forth between this game and the first game we talked about here. Uh, sometimes when it comes to betting, making picks, you know, going out on a limb for a team on a podcast like what we do, I love to lean on the numbers. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes I just need to lean on experience, and I think I'm going to go down with my money in my mouth on Kansas City. For some reason, they're just a different beast in the playoffs. I think a big problem for the Bills was that they were getting their ass kicked, uh, excuse me, that Kansas City was getting their ass kicked in the first half and ended up Mahomes goes for 405 touchdowns, right? like it's th- That's just not what you want to see, them getting a rhythm and them getting a groove. I don't think they're the better team. I think the Bills are hungrier, but coming into Arrowhead Stadium and taking down the king, beating Patrick Mahomes – is a really really tough task and I just don't think the Bills can do it twice in one season I'm going KC minus one and a half I can't wait to watch this game
1: yeah this game is gonna be fantastic and you made the you made the point that I was going to finish with we in the playoffs just talked about this last week and this game will be a great showcase of that in my opinion the Bills are the better team you take the better team especially if they're hungrier I don't disagree with your your point that the Chiefs are a different beast. This will be a very good test for me. Can the Bills go in there and win it and prove, again, that the better team wins the game? Because I think it's a very little question. That offense, that defense, in comparison to Kansas City's offense and defense, Bills are better. Sure. But Patrick Mahomes is the king.
0: Sure. And just to counter that before we move on to our last segments of the episode here, is I think the talent gap between these better teams now went from here all the way down to here right like Mm -hmm. i agree i don't disagree with you but Mm -hmm. i think now one special teams fumble one false start one stupid play will cost the better team a game. a better team a game and as a packer fan that's that's in the back of my head what i'm freaking about i know this isn't the game we're talking about that's what i'm freaking out about the niners one misstep one bad penalty one fumble um it'll cost you
1: well, and just to wrap football here, you know, you've got the Rams, the Bucks, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Titans. I think all of those games, to your point, could be within one mistake. I just don't see the Niners in the same uh, echelon as any of yeah, these yeah, teams, I think, you know? Yeah. Do, the injuries are just the driving factor, For right? Sure. Like and And the quarterback, let's look at the Chiefs and the Bills, elite quarterback, sure, right? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, elite. Burrow ascending to elite status. Rams, Bucks. it's really just Tannehill and Garoppolo. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, <laughs> We're right. We're like, oh, God, don't lose us the game by the second quarter. Right, it's like, just um, give it to
0: Devo, just give it to Henry, A.J. Yeah. Brown, <laughs> Kittle, please, <Yeah>. please. <laughs> yep, yep.
1: But kind of credit to those teams, their teams, right? The 100%. 49ers have gotten here based on the team mentality the Titans have as well, the Packers, the Bills, the Chiefs. A lot of these teams, their quarterbacks have kind of masked some of these big-time issues that these teams have. Come Saturday, come Sunday, you know, I think these teams are going to be tested at a whole new level because it, it is football time. Yep. All right, moving along to baseball. It's kind of been a few weeks since we talked about baseball. The current collective bargaining disagreement is still in play. There was another proposal Shout sent out. over to now the league office. I still think we're months away here. These two, these two sides have a lot of different things that they have to hash out. We'll continue to fill you in as this uh, negotiation continues, but some news that we wanted to talk about. Carlos Correa did fire his agent earlier in the po- the off season. Uh, kind of confusing since, you know, he's expected to be the number one prized free agent. He did just sign Scott Boris as his agent. And that's big news. Scott, Boris, for those of you that don't know, is probably the super agent in Major League Baseball. He is probably the wealthiest agent in the sport. He's always able to get top dollar for his clients, even some of the clients that maybe have showed a couple of weaknesses. I think with this move, Carlos Correa has now set himself up to be, again, the number one earner in baseball this offseason. And Matt, we want to talk a little bit about where could he go? I think personally, this sets him up to go to the Yankees. The Yankees obviously have the biggest bag of cash to offer people. You said it before we jumped on today. They haven't really had a solidified shortstop since Jeter, and I, I'm thinking that this, with 35 million dollars a year, probably being the price, probably a 10 year deal, right. is going to be a marriage a marriage that we see, but. Ultimately, we wanted to talk about are the fans going to be okay with it since Korea and the Astros did beat the Yankees during the cheating scandal and maybe a couple of their landing spots. What do you think?
0: So I think at the end of the day, big cities like New York and L.A., you know, California, where I'm from, is they'll do anything for a win you know what, I think they'll put it to bed, especially New Yorkers, right? Like, yeah, they're probably gonna be a little bitter about it, but if that guy hits 280, 55 homers, pair him with Judge, Stanton and the boys out there, and you have a shortstop that's not making errors every other game like the guy that's playing there now, and you know what, you can actually beat a a worse Red Sox team in the postseason and make a run, I don't think anyone will bat an eye in New York because Believe it or not, guys, it's been a long-ass time since the Yankees have been in the World Series and won one. So I think it would be a match made in heaven. Time heals all wounds, my friends. Winning heals all wounds. I think that could actually be a great marriage.
1: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing here to look at if if he goes to the Yankees, Judge's contract is up, I think, after this coming 2022 season. You know, if you allocate $350 million to Correa, that probably means that you have to let Judge walk, right? So it's really, who would you rather have here? A premium shortstop, a premium outfielder. Um, I think it's going to be really hard for Yankee fans to see Judge walk if this contract kind of enables them from signing him. I just wanted to throw a few teams out there too that I think could also make a run at Carlos Correa. We talked a little bit, bit a few months ago about the Mariners you know they got Robbie Ray that was kind of their guy I still think they have the money to bring in Correa 350 is a lot right 350 million dollars is nothing to bat an eye at But that Mariners team, as we talked about, has a lot of young players. So that money over 10 years is going to go a lot farther in Seattle than it would in New York when you got to sign in judge, right? You got to give Severino a contract extension. You know, there are plenty of other players that are going to be due up for making money. Also, I think the Chicago Cubs might not be ready to kick the dirt and kind of rebuild. They signed Marcus Stroman. I would not be completely surprised to see them allow Bryant and Baez to walk only to bring in Correa. I think the NL Central and the Chicago Cubs would be a good fit, too, because let's be honest, they weren't screwed over by the Astros really at all, right? They were kind of dwindling down as that Astros cheating scandal started. They didn't beat them in the playoffs. So I think Chicago, Seattle are two very big dark horse teams if the Yankees don't want to big, grab that big bag of cash.
0: moving on to the association i saw a pretty cool stat matt you know we're you're halfway through the season right now trade deadlines february f- february 10th not the first excuse me um so we got a lot of great duos in the nba right you got our guys Giannis and middleton you know we obviously have kd and either uh, <laughs> james harden or kyrie irving you know we have all these superstar matchups Stefan clay but i thought the top Two duos with the most 20-point-per-game performances, so that means both of the guys scored 20 in the same game, were really awesome and I think is an indictment on the evolution of the NBA and really good general managing by certain teams. A, the first one, the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, (laughs) Chicago Bulls Um, they have Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan leading the league in 20 point performances together on the season by a large margin they're at 21 and tied for second place with KD and James Harden none other not the Splash Brothers not Giannis not these guys you're thinking about Carl Anthony Towns and our boy Anthony Edwards so when I saw that, I didn't think, oh God, Carl Anthony Towns has finally figured it out. Don't get me wrong. He's having a career season. He's playing unbelievable. I'm in I'm not a full believer in him yet. He's I'm turning the page throughout the season. They look all right. But Anthony Edwards, bro. This kid was a risk of a first-round pick. If you remember, he came out and said, yeah, I don't love basketball. I'm really good at it, and I want to play and be the best player I can be. I think it was taken out of context, but in my opinion, Matt, I think this kid can transcend into a top 10 and even top five player. He has that much potential. Now, top 10, let's say a year or two, maybe, right? He's that close. Him and John Morant are really making that next push to pushing guys like, unfortunately, my boy, Damian Lillard, you know, down the ladder, and these new kids are rising up. What did you think when I sent you that, man? Carl Anthony Towns and Aunt Edwards amongst the best duos in all the NBA this season.
1: Yeah, I think Edwards is one of my favorite emerging players in this league. The way he plays the game, the the ability to blow by defenders, just the overall premise. You're right. John Morant's a very good comp. Moran, I think, has a little more athleticism, but Edwards is a phenomenal talent, and he's He's on par to be a top 10 player, most definitely. My issue with this with that stat is Carl Anthony Towns. Carl <laughs> Anthony Towns has been talking on shit your for list, how many yeah. years now? Oh, he's on my hit list. Him and Ben Simmons could easily collide and fall to the ground and I would laugh. Well,
0: just because they beat you in fucking COD is it doesn't mean that you get to take it out on them, okay? Just because they whoop your ass on Fortnite and talk shit doesn't mean that you get to talk so much shit back, man, okay?
1: But but with that being said. Towns' numbers this year, they are impressive. He's 41.3% from three-point range. That's incredible for a center, right? What Towns is doing is spacing the floor. What I want to bring up, though, is the difference between what Towns is doing and what the elite performers at the power forward and center position are doing. He's averaging 24.5 points a game. That's fantastic. But it's not what Giannis is doing this season. Giannis is averaging an astounding 28.5. Carl Anthony Towns isn't over 10 rebounds, rebounds per game. What is Giannis over? He's over 10 rebounds per game. And then you look at Jokic, right? The MVP, like the best player at his position. He is also outpacing Edwards at kind of an extreme clip. He's at 25.3 points per game, and he's at over 13.8 rebounds per game. He is at the upper echelon of his crop. So my issue with Towns is you need to be better because Edwards is going to need a partner. I don't see a third option coming into the Timberwolves because they've tried that. Jimmy Butler. didn't work right so towns needs to elevate his game even that much more i think spacing is important but he's got to find that down low presence and kind of be a dog and if he can't do that ultimately he will be out of towns and edwards will probably have to do it on his own
0: be out of towns i love that um last thing we'll say here before we move on to our football story is uh i actually disagree with you because they actually have a decent third option in d'angelo russell you know he's not who we all thought he was going to be but that was kind of my point leading into this segment here is the GM work, right? Like the G, uh, the Timberwolves made a great hire at head coach. And the Chicago Bulls went out and spent money, got Lonzo, got Zach Levine, got Vucevic, got DeMar DeRozan. Dude, DeMar DeRozan's an all-pro right now. He's playing at an MVP level in my opinion. Right now, he should be the MVP. The Bulls have the best record in the East. They have no business being there. But DeMar is literally playing his best basketball he's ever played in his career late into his career after his Toronto run after learning under pop now being the head honcho and you know Zach Levine's the sexy amazing scorer right like he's up there in top 10 right now too um just phenomenal work by the GMs in Chicago and Minnesota making both these team relevant these teams relevant Chicago a little bit more obviously having such a great record Minnesota they're hanging around they're right now in that play-in tournament for the NBA
1: well, and I think that's something that we should talk about, too. What happened to DeRozan in, on the Spurs? And I think this is probably what we're starting to see now is the downfall of Greg Popovich in a new modern NBA. Kawhi Leonard wanted to leave, right? Kawhi Leonard didn't feel like this was a system that worked for him. DeMar DeRozan was a shell of himself down there in San Antonio. Still, like, I think, 18, 19-point well. performer. Yeah. but But... Pop never allowed him to unleash himself, right? He wasted, I think, what, two, three years down there in San Antonio. I think this will be really interesting to see DeRozan continue to ascend back to that all pro level, possibly MVP. And what I think it says to me is Greg Popovich, your time in the NBA is possibly over. If team, if players continue to leave your team and excel even better than they were on your team, it means that your system is broken and you no longer fit the mold for what an NBA coach should be. Now that's a very bold statement, but we had now have two gigantic profiled players that have left and been better away from him. Maybe it's time he hangs it up.
0: last topic for the pod today we got to talk about Troy Aikman dude um <laughs> you know we're not a big like oh we're going to talk about the Cowboys like everyone else but I thought what his statement and, and we don't we're not going to read through the entire statement and go find it on Twitter I think I retweeted it out on our page um but he basically called out the entire team and in my opinion Matt and I disagree about this uh, I think he called out Dak the end of the statement and it was long like I think five six sentences of wherever whatever podcast or show he was on talking about. He said, "And if I've got a great player at wide receiver and a corner is playing that wide receiver in single coverage, you throw." I took that as a direct shot at Dak Prescott. I get at this point in his career, maybe they don't give him the flexibility to call his own calls at the line of scrimmage, but you're getting paid 40X million dollars a year. At the end of the day, you look at Rodgers, you look at Brady, you look at Stafford. They see the matchup, they take it. You put the ball in your hands and you get your your ball to the best receiver. And that's what I think Aikman's trying to say is, hey man, you grab the fucking game by by the balls and you get CD the ball. You get him every single touch that he can in single coverage because if not, you're going to lose. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Obviously, it's going to be a shit show in Dallas here for the entire offseason, another disappointing year. But I think Aikman is right. I think the blame needs to be falling on Dak just as much as it is on everyone else because at the the end of the day, he showed up to a playoff game and drastically underperformed for his team and lost a game they shouldn't have lost.
1: Well, it's interesting. I feel like this is more on the coaching staff. I'll get that get get to that in a minute. I think it's interesting that Dak doesn't trust Ceedee Lamb, right? If you see the target shares, if you see what Ceedee Lamb did in this game, he had a few drops, big couple big drops. Uh, one of those drops almost landed in the hands of a defensive back, and you know, completely took the Cowboys out of the game. I'm wondering if in single coverage, Dak looks at him and says, "You know what." I don't know if he's not going to drop that ball. I don't know if he's not going to drop that ball into a defender's hands. I would rather go to Wilson, the guy that nobody really knows about until the last four weeks that I've trusted and thrown the ball to more, and he's caught the ball for me in big moments. I think Dak and CeeDee Lamb might have trust issues. Those issues need to be hashed out. And again, I talked about this before. Amari Cooper isn't helping those trust issues, right? I completely agree, Yeah. Alpha male wide receiver without the talent that CD now has because he's younger and fresher. But I think this ultimately falls on Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore, you're the offensive coordinator. You're going through the first quarter. You're seeing the single coverage uh, packages. You're dragging Dak over here and you're saying you're throwing him the ball. I'm your coach. You're doing this. We have an opportunity to exploit a weakness on that team. You need to exploit it. We will take control back of this game. Where is Kellen Moore saying this, right? He's the guy in charge of the offense. We didn't see adjustments from Kellen Moore until the game was already almost over. And at the end of the day, Kellen Moore, what does his ultimate resume look like? He hasn't gotten the (laughs) Cowboys to an NFC Championship game. He's the best play
0: caller of all time, Matt. What are you talking about? They're the most explosive offense ever ever Dak broke all these records they're so good he's so good at calling plays come on well and who who were the last
1: big time offensive coordinators to kind of get that pedigree Uh, Jason Garrett how did that go over for him (laughs) right not so well and then you look at our boy in New England who ended up going and coaching Denver didn't really work for him either McDaniel. So, my issue here is Kellen Moore. I said this to you off the pod. I will stand by it. I think Kellen Moore not only does not deserve a head coaching job, I think he needs to either be demoted or fired. With the performance from the Cowboys all season long, the underperformance has been awful. They don't run the ball well. They don't throw the ball against good teams. There's no balance. There's no real game plan. It's kind of just we need to move the ball down the field and oh, Dalton Schultz is open. Let's throw to him. (laughs) I think Kellen Moore is honestly doing Dak Prescott a disservice. And when Mike McCarthy is your head coach, you need a strong offensive coordinator that is willing to grab, as you said, grab the balls and move forward. And Kellen Moore is not that guy.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it'll just be an absolute disservice to the NFL if someone hires that motherfucker in this offseason. And I think that's the biggest thing. I, I, I'm i going to disagree with you on a lot what you said, but um, I, I don't think Kellen Moore deserves. Well, like, what has he done to show that he's a good leader? Like, he yep. needs absolutely nothing. So I'll leave it at that. But everyone, hey, it's divisional weekend. If your team's still in it and they're not the Niners, good luck. I have an awesome bet with one of my buddies. After the game, we bet a pitcher on the game. He's a big Niners fan where I live. A lot of people um, are Niners fans around here, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) But we bet a pitcher on the game, and we're going to go get the pitcher bought for whoever wins the game, and the loser has to buy the pitcher in the other team's jersey. So pray for me Mm. that it's not me. Uh, We will post it uh, either Sunday night or Monday, depending on the quality of of brain cells as well as the quality of the video so everyone please like subscribe to the podcast turn your reviews on we appreciate you guys so much and we will be back next tuesday follow us instagram twitter and tiktok at pitcher pod cheers have a good one guys